1879, Thomas Edison, after years of probably very mundane and painful trial and error research, finally had it. He had invented an electric filament light bulb that both gave off enough light to actually be useful without burning out so quickly it was completely useless. The effects on society were as quick as they were dramatic. Of course, there had been artificial light before the invention of the electric light bulb, but it was oil or gas lighting, or even just good old-fashioned lighting some sticks on fire. And this was costly and inefficient, sometimes even dangerous, and at the end of the day it didn't even really give off a steady enough light to make it possible to do that much after dark anyways. For the most part, people woke up when the sun came up or a little before, and went to bed when the sun went down or a little after. And the average person actually probably slept 10 or 11 hours a night. It was kind of costly and impractical to do anything else during the hours of darkness. That all changed with Edison's bulb and its successors. Within a couple of decades, electric light bulbs hung in factories over the first generation of night shift workers, and the 24-7 workforce was born. Hooray! A person's social life wasn't over when the sun went down either. Instead, with electric light, it was really the opposite. And instead of going to bed, now people went out with friends. They stayed up later than ever, and they still got up early. Now there's so much light in the world that it's hard for us to imagine the world that isn't brightly lit 24-7. In fact, when an earthquake knocked out the power grid in Los Angeles for an extended period of time in the 90s, overnight people called the police to report this strange giant silvery cloud hanging over the city in the sky. No, it wasn't wildfire smoke from Canada or a UFO. It was the Milky Way. With all this light, society of course became much more productive, but it came with costs. Research and studies have shown that there are a lot of nasty side effects to having artificial light around the clock. Higher rates of depression, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, and even cancer have all been linked to exposure to artificial light, especially at night. And of course, people also became far less rested. Instead of 10 or 11 hours of sleep each night, the average person now sleeps for less than seven. Edison, by the way, didn't really see a problem with this. He felt like sleep was kind of lazy and unhealthy. Today's health experts who are not leaders in the Industrial Revolution would heartily disagree. You can actually find quite a few articles and studies that suggest that even the eight hours of sleep that our doctors tell us to get, that we don't get of course, are really not enough and that we should really shoot for 10 or 11 hours if we want to be the healthiest we can be. At the end of the day, humans need rest. A person who works straight through the day without breaks is proven to generally be less productive than a person who takes breaks throughout the day, even though the person who took breaks worked fewer hours in total. This isn't something we even need science to back up though, is it? Every one of us has experienced the negative side effects of being too tired, of not having had a break recently enough, of having had to go from thing to thing to thing without a day off for far too long. Without rest, we suffer. We can see the importance of rest in our society as well. Some of the first battles of the labor movement in the United States were about how long a night shift should be allowed to last. 10 hours? 12 hours? 6 hours? Even the very existence of a labor movement shows that we understand that rest is needed. You can still see the battle for rest around you. In fact, you're probably battling it yourself. We're getting to the middle of July right now, and this is the prime season for what? 
vacations, right? We take a vacation to get away from the stresses and tasks of everyday life. You'll find people practicing mindfulness, exercising, taking personal days, digital fasts, all sorts of things to try to find some rest. This isn't something new, though. It didn't just start with the dawn of artificial light. From the very beginning of creation, God recognized the importance of rest. What did he himself do on the seventh day of creation, after his work of creating was complete? He rested, didn't he? To model rest for his people. He set aside that seventh day as the Sabbath day, literally the day of rest. Shabbat in Hebrew means rest. In the Old Testament, while he was hand-governing his special nation of Israel that he had chosen to preserve the line and promise of the Savior, he explicitly wrote rest into their culture by including it in their legal code. That Sabbath day rest was mandated for everyone. Masters, servants, employers, employees, adults, children, even foreigners who didn't believe in him. And actually, even animals were supposed to be given a seventh-day rest. He even went a little further and included the land itself. Although we're not actually sure they ever did this, every seventh year was supposed to be a Sabbath year, in which they didn't cultivate the land itself and instead lived off of what God had allowed them to store up the years before. Rest is actually a central theme to all of Scripture. If a non-Christian friend of yours asked you, what's your Bible all about? If you said rest, you would be able to defend that answer pretty thoroughly. So today we're talking about how a Christian is is someone who finds rest. But in a world where everyone is already looking for rest and finding rest in all different places, that doesn't make us unique. What sets a Christian apart is where we find rest. A Christian finds rest in Jesus. And like last week, this might seem overly simple to us. Okay, pastor, we know, of course, we find rest in Jesus. But like last week, it's maybe more difficult to put into practice or to wrap our minds around than we might think at first. And even before we can talk about what it looks like to find rest in Jesus, we have to talk about the kind of rest we should be looking for. Because if we aren't looking for the right kind of rest, we'll never find it in Jesus. If I get all tired out working in the garden all day, and I want to find some rest for that, and I decide I'm going to go to the gym, probably not the right kind of rest. Of course, a gym and an exercise can bring me some good emotional or mental rest. But if my body's all tired out, I'm I'm looking in the wrong place. Same thing is true with spiritual rest. If I'm looking for the wrong kind of rest from Jesus, I'm going to be disappointed. And this was the problem that the people in Jesus' time had. The context of the words of our Savior that we're focusing on this morning is really their rejection of him, as well as their rejection of his forerunner, John the Baptist. And a large part of this rejection was that they were expecting and looking for a different kind of rest. This isn't a new idea to us. We know that the people in Jesus' time struggled with this. They were looking for a Messiah whom they had built up in their minds to fix all the problems that they felt were worst. You know, the oppression and occupation by the Romans, the fact that their nation had pretty much steadily declined since the first couple of kings centuries and centuries and centuries before. Jesus spends most of Matthew chapter 11 calling them to repentance for this rejection of him. It says when John came and fasted and lived this ascetic life separate from society, eating locusts and wild honey, they said he was a demon or demon-possessed. When Jesus came then, eating and drinking and spending time with people, they said he was a friend of sinners and a glutton and a drunk. 
Neither of them matched their ideas of what the forerunner prophet and the Messiah would look like, live like, or do. They had their ideas, they had their frame, and if the Savior and the, the forerunner prophet didn't match that, they weren't interested. Jesus speaks in really strong language against this rejection. Woe to these cities who rejected him, he says. Not only are they not going to find the rest they're, not, they're looking for from Romans or worldly problems, they're going to miss out on the rest that he's come to bring them. You and I know the rest that Jesus came to bring. It's spiritual rest. It's rest for our souls. It's deeper and more lasting and more important than the refreshment we can get from a vacation or a weekend. But even though we know this, maybe we forget it or take it for granted. I understand Jesus provides spiritual rest, but that doesn't help me when I'm worn out at work. I understand I can have rest in Jesus, but that doesn't help my finances or my relationships or my career. Maybe we even are tempted to look at our devotional lives and worship as just more chores in the long list of tasks and responsibilities and obligations that we have each week. After all, if we already understand that Jesus offers spiritual rest, why should we wake up early on a Sunday morning or maybe one day off just to hear the same thing when we've got much bigger fish to fry? This kind of thinking isn't that far off, though, from the people of Israel who rejected Jesus, is it? Maybe it's not outright rejection. We would never do that. No, we love Jesus and want to follow him. But it's essentially saying, no thanks, Jesus. I appreciate that you took my sins away. I get that. I really love that. That's good for me when I die. But what I really need is I need help at work. Or I need help with money. Or I need help keeping this crumbling relationship together. If you find yourself thinking like this, there's one question you need to ask yourself. Do I really understand the problem? Do I? The problem isn't that life has dealt you a bad hand or that you're too tired or you're too busy or you have too many responsibilities. Those are all problems, sure, but you can take a vacation and hit those well-rested. You can even get out of those kinds of problems. Do you really understand the problem? The problem is that you yourself stand guilty before God himself. And a little vacation isn't going to fix that. Neither will a huge pay raise or a comfortable retirement. I mean, vacations can't even perfectly fix our physical rest, our need for physical rest. Have you ever gone on a vacation only to come back and get through that first day of work after vacation and realize you're just as tired and burnt out and stressed out as you were before? It was a good escape, but you come back to all your problems. Do you think a vacation will fix your problem before the Lord? Your guilt and sins aren't even something that you can leave behind and escape for a little bit. They're with you wherever you go. They're with you at the golf course, the resort, wherever you are, even in bed with you on Sunday morning when you sleep in. And this is an awful burden to bear. And it's one that every human carries whether they realize it or not. And it's rest from this, deep down, it's rest from this burden that everyone is looking for. And of course, this is the rest that Jesus wants to provide for you. It's the rest that he came to give you. It's the rest he won for you by taking the load of sin off of your shoulders and taking it on his and going to the cross with it where it was dealt with once and for all. There are a few things that, a few simple truths about this rest that I want to spend the rest of our time looking at, which will, I really hope, help us to better appreciate what our Savior has done for us.
First, rest in Jesus is simple. It truly is. God knew from the very beginning that spiritual rest, rest for our souls, is important. It's part of how he made us. Even before the fall into sin, we see that he modeled this rest when he took the seventh day and rested himself. Can you wrap your mind around that? Even before sin was in the picture, rest was important and something he made for us. This day of rest is maybe even more important now that sin has entered the picture because now we don't have that spiritual rest naturally. Now it has to be earned, but of course we can't earn it no matter how hard we try. So God promised the Savior. And then he made rules about Sabbath rest so that no matter how distracted people would get by all their challenges and troubles and tasks and obligations of daily life, they'd still have at least one day where they had no responsibilities other than to enjoy God's creation, which is marvelous even in its fallen state, and reflect on the even more marvelous rest for their souls that the promised Savior would bring. Really, the Sabbath day was just a big object lesson. Supposed to work like this. Look, you don't have to work today. You can't be expected to work today. Isn't that great? The same is true spiritually. You don't have to work. It's done for you. There's no expectation of you. You don't have to work to earn your salvation. Really was simple, but unfortunately that didn't make sense. It was too simple. So over time, God's people turned God's gift of rest into a set of rules. God's law really was simple. Don't work. The people turned not working into work. What was supposed to be a day to reflect on what God would do for them turned into another opportunity to try to earn his love, another obligation. They tried to narrow down what exactly is work. How much grain can I thresh? How far can I walk? And this line of thinking continues in Judaism today. There are special Sabbath lamps and Sabbath elevators that keep you from having to do the work of turning on a switch or pushing a button on the Sabbath day. It's a shame because what was supposed to be a day focused on God's love for them turned into more rules and laws and obligation. But sadly, we do the same. This isn't some time to be anti-Semitic. We have the same temptation. We struggle with the same kind of rationalization. We overthink our relationship with God as well. Jesus gives rest. But we feel like it can't be that simple. We have to do something, don't we? We try to figure out our role in getting this rest from Jesus. Just like you'll find all sorts of strategies to prevent burnout and make sure you get enough sleep or vacation or how to have a conversation with your boss about expectations or set boundaries and find an appropriate work or life balance. You'll find all sorts of strategies for finding rest in Jesus. And more likely than not, though, you're not even going to get that far. You're going to try to invent your own. Just follow his teachings. Be a devout Lutheran. Tithe properly. Do this much social service. Whatever it is, I promise you it's overcomplicating what Jesus says. This is actually what he's talking about at the beginning of our reading for today, when he says that God the Father hid these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. He's not saying that the rest that can be found in him isn't for anyone. More on that in a second. He's saying that even the most intelligent people, maybe especially the most intelligent people, are likely to overthink and overcomplicate this. Don't do that. There are no rules, no strings attached. Rest in Jesus is truly simple. It's simply a gift. There's no secret path. There are no hidden steps. There's no fine print. Jesus died for your sins. Your sin-weary soul has rest. Full stop.
I promise there's no but coming. Let go of the sin or guilt that you've been carrying. You don't need to carry it any longer. Jesus has won you rest. Unlike the complicated strings-attached multi-step plan rests that the world gets caught up in, it really is that simple. It's simply a gift. Next, rest in Jesus is for all. It's for everyone who is weary and burdened. Everyone. All. Did you hear what his invitation was? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. This means that there's no past that can't be let go. There's no soul that's too dirty, no record that's too stained. It means that no matter who you are or where you are, you're not too lost. What we read is an invitation, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This means rest in Jesus is for you, no matter what your guilty conscience tells you. The only time Jesus' rest might not be for you is when you don't want it, and then it's not going to bother you so much. This happens if we're not weary and burdened. If we start to build ourselves up and think, well, I've, I've become a good enough person, we think, okay, Jesus, maybe this rest that you invite is for the people who are drug addicts or porn addicts or, or really struggling in their personal lives or whatever, and they need to come back to you, that come to Jesus moment. But me, no, I'm okay. I'm, I'm a good Lutheran. I follow your rules. I, I'll see you in heaven. I'll meet you there. I don't need this invitation. Ah, if we don't feel weighed down by our sinfulness, then we're tempted to ignore his invitation. And that's dangerous because we'll miss out on the rest he wants to give us. Good news is there's an easy and quick solution for this. It's called self-examination. Take one half of one second and just think, have I been the employer or employee or husband or wife or child or brother or sister or friend that I know God wants me to be? There's that weight of sin, that burden right back again, isn't it? And right away, Jesus' invitation is there for you too. Let him take that weight. Let him give you his yoke, which is light and easy to carry, he promises. Rest in Jesus is for all who feel the weight of sin. And that means you. Now, just like with physical rest, there are things that we can foolishly do to rob ourselves of spiritual rest. I've had students in class who complained about being tired, only to later brag about how they were up watching YouTube until 4.30 in the morning. Hmm, why do you think that you're so tired? pastor's not going to have a whole lot of sympathy for you at this point. In the same way, I can't expect to be physically rested if I'm making decisions that actively make it impossible for me to be physically rested. Same is true of my soul's rest. If I keep choosing to ignore worship, or if my devotional life and prayer life are at the bottom of my list of priorities and it only happen if I feel like I have time, or if I run out of other things to do, or run out of things to watch on Netflix, can I really expect to be well-rested spiritually, too? Not really. And this is what we do when we try to find our rest outside of Jesus. And it's, frankly, not Christian. After all, a Christian finds rest in Jesus. So don't do that. You're robbing yourself of something that Jesus wants you to have. Don't rob yourself of time in God's word. Don't rob yourself of the sacrament of communion. Don't rob yourself of worshiping with others and being encouraged in your faith by your brothers and sisters. Don't turn down Jesus' invitation and then wonder why your soul is weighed down. Jesus is offering you true rest, rest for your souls. I want to close with a thought that I found particularly encouraging myself and and I hope it is for you too. You're here, right now, listening to God's word, worshiping with fellow believers, and that's really cool. 
Not because it makes you a cut above the rest, of course. Not because it means you're some sort of super Christian compared to all the rest, or you're saved because you came to church this morning. But do you know what it means that you're here right now? It means that you know the things that are hidden from the wise and learned. It means that when Jesus was given everything by his father, and by the way, we like to play this game, right? Even if you're not a lottery player, I'm not really, but if you're, even if you're not a lottery player, you've practiced what you're going to do if you somehow manage to win that thing that you don't play. You know, even just hearing those words, lottery winner, you can probably think of the first five things without much thought what you'll do with that. We like to play that. Jesus was given everything. He says his father committed everything to him. And what did he do? He went and revealed himself to you in word and sacrament so that you can know something that the most intelligent and most educated people he's ever created and graced this world with will ever fig- will never figure out on their own. When Jesus had everything, he chose you to reveal to you the secret to true rest. You know where to look. You know where to go. Turn to Jesus for rest. Amen.